Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Hola, mi gente. We are the Pocha Podcast, meeting you at the intersection of brown and proud and assimilation. I'm Charlene. And I'm Kat. And we are two borderland pochas with a 90s hangover, trying to make sense of it all. Pocha Podcast, if you're feeling too brown, too white. All right. We are the podcast for you. Listen for yourself on iTunes or Spotify and find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Pocha Podcast. We just observed a moment of silence for all of the podcasts that made three episodes and then quit. It's a lot of them. R.I.P. We just want to remember those fallen heroes. <laughs> they had dreams and then they went, wow, this is like a lot of time. They were sitting in their closet and it dawned on them that they could be doing anything else. They could be doing literally anything else. And that somehow has not dawned on us. So hello. Not yet. Hi. It's perhaps it's you. An unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. We're your cool mystery aunts. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. And we're here to talk about the show that traumatized you as a child and made you an amateur detective that you are today. If you're rewatching along, it might be continually traumatizing you as an adult. Yeah, it's like traumatizing me in a new way, I feel like. Yeah. Where it's like, wow, a lot of pointless things happen. And the 80s was scary. I'm mm-hmm. glad I survived. Yeah. I'd like to give a shout out to Becky in New Mexico who sent us some amazing presents. Um, You're the best. And I fucking forgot them. Well, I forgive you. We had some chocolate that I could be eating right now, but I left it at my house. <laughs> Damn. I forgive you, and I thank Becky. Thank you so much. Becky sent we us really some, appreciate it. Some, some chocolate from England. Thank you. uh, Oh, some sheet masks. Yeah. Which our skin is really going to need pretty soon because winter is here. That's my favorite kind. The dry too. Minnesota air. Yeah, we got some cream shop. Those ones are so good. They make Sheet your pores super tiny. So excited. And like your skin like really glowy. And whenever I use one and then I wake up in the morning, I'm like, who's that? And Ooh. some lip balm. Oh, that yeah. That stuff's really good, too. I'm really enjoying. Yes. Thank I you, Becky. I for Liz. Thank you so much. Becky purchased some items from our Amazon wish list, which Liz told me today that she's been keeping updated, <laughs> which I really appreciate. <laughs> I've so I found some things I thought Samantha would want, and I put them on there. So check it so out. So those can be little surprises for Samantha. I think it's linked on our website, right? Yeah. So if you go to our website, perhaps it's you.com, if you are a sucker like Becky, you can buy us some gifts, and we'll love you forever. My advice to any everyone is pretty much make an Amazon wish list. Yeah. You don't know who wants to buy you stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't think someone I've never met named Becky in New Mexico would buy us face masks, but then it happened. It happened. The world is an amazing place. They showed up at my door. It's lovely. So if you've written a review lately, thank you for that. Uh, we you're the best. We only accept five star reviews, and everybody has been fucking sticking to that. You're good students. You follow directions. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. I saw that, and according to my podcast app. We had a hundred episodes, but I know we've released a couple like Patreon things that I don't feel like really count. Okay. okay. So I think we're coming up on our hundredth episode. Maybe I'll crunch the numbers and find out exactly when we'll hit our hundredth episode. Should we do something special? Yeah. I don't know what, but yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll have to think about we'll it. We'll have to celebrate harder than the snow ma- abominable snowman party, which was just us also having a beverage. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and those are the pod dogs you might hear. Lenny and Curtis. They're um, not actually detectives, they're dogs. <laughs> they solve some mysteries, though, don't they? 
Not, not really. Like the mystery of how to get on the table and eat, and steal some food. The mystery of how to eat the remaining pumpkin spice Kit Kats, Curtis. That was actually the mystery. Who ate these Kit Kats? Oh, it was totally Curtis. Solved. <laughs> that mystery was quickly solved. quickly solved. He, you think he's a better dog than Lenny, but he's actually just like craftier, he's sneakier. He's about just his, smarter. Yeah. Uh, do we have any updates? I really don't think we do. You know what I learned? And this is just based off Twitter, so, you know, whatever. Is that the Unsolved Mysteries reboot on Netflix is not going to have a host. What? I know. They were overwhelmed by all the choices? Because that's everyone's first question. Was is who gonna- do you think should be the host when you find out there's a reboot? And they just took the easy way out? And I know. I'm so disappointed, honestly. Are we even going to watch them? It needs to have a host. It needs to have a host. Is it going like, to have a... I mean, I'm assuming it's going to have a narrator. They're going to be... They're, I, yeah. I, wouldn't it Is have Is Jonathan to? Frakes doing it? Oh, my God. I would love that. I mean, really... I, I might w- forgive them if that... I really wanted crazy. Jillian Anderson to be the host. I'm sure she's pricey, but she's done other things for Netflix. I don't see why she couldn't do that. And my other choice was... I might say her name wrong. The one from The Shield. C.H. Pounder. She would be incredible. Yeah. She would be incredible. We had some great ideas. Uh, we had some also, great ideas. Netflix, if you're listening, we are, ve- are a very good deal. Actually, we're professionals. We uh, know about Unsolved Mysteries. We have a business. You could get both of us for the fraction of the price we of are, Jillian Anderson. Yeah, we're like like a Jillian Anderson's like one nail or something. Yeah. Like the cost of us is got to be a lot less than so give her, us, give a us goddess a call. on earth give us a call shoot us an email yeah it's perhaps it's you podcast we, we at gmail.com we'll sure, work this out i'm sure it would work out for both of us us coming out in two trench coats walking in like perfect <laughs> <laughs> like synchronized swimming harmony hello it's unsolved <laughs> mysteries there's like yeah there's the we you gotta have they're not gonna have oh i hate it that's yeah that's just a rumor i guess i don't know i haven't found i haven't done my due diligence and made sure that's true so disappointing if true i hate i do hate it but maybe if it's narrated they'll get jonathan frakes because i'm i don't know if you know this everyone but the narrator of forensic files has moved on yeah he's on the other side of the veil yeah peter thomas so we can't get him the greatest narrator of all time but maybe Jonathan Frakes is listening to this podcast right now because Liz told, or because Rochelle told, told him about yeah. it. So I'm sure he's a huge fan and he's going to sign up for Patreon any second. Could you imagine? If he was giving us a dollar. Okay. Who would be the like famous person, okay, other than Gordon Ramsay? Who would be the famous? <laughs> put that caveat okay, on it. Okay. You can tell me if it's Gordon Ramsay. That if like one day you go to Patreon and it's like, oh, this person, and it's, Somehow you know it's really them has signed up. What if it was John Taffer? Because he normally oh did an episode about him. That would be wild. <laughs> or like Zach Baggins. No, that would be almost bad. Yeah. I would be like, we're doing something wrong if Zach Baggins is a huge <laughs> Gives fan. Gives us of this. a dollar. No. Yeah. Is that something? I was actually thinking about that the other day. Like, who would the most, it would blow my mind if I found out that they liked this podcast. Well, who would yours be? I don't, I was really debating. I don't know. I, re- I mean, I, I hope B.D. Wong listens. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hi. Oh, also, I was thinking, so later today, we're recording a Patreon episode of the X-Files episode Home. It's very notorious, whatever. If you want to hear our reactions, you're going to have to give us a dollar. But it occurred to me that 
there's an episode of the X-Files with a ton of young B.D. Wong. What? Yeah. That might be like one of his, his like big breaks. All right. Well, we have to do that one. For okay. Patreon. Because if you have a like police show, it's, I think, required by law that you have an episode that takes place in Chinatown, a uh, Chinatown. Basically, like, every show I can think of has <laughs> one episode where they're like, oh, no, the Chinese mafia this time. <laughs> and then, but so there's one like that of the X-Files. Okay, sure, sure. It's called Hell Money. And I was like, why didn't, why wasn't that the first one? Well, I guess we started with the, the pilot. Right, right. That makes sense. Now we're doing this one that's very notorious. Yes. Maybe the next one we should do has young, beautiful darling bd wong do you think there's a bd wong rewatch podcast where they only watch <laughs> things that he's well, done people do ask us what are we gonna do when we get to the unsolved mis- end of unsolved mysteries and i'm like this is an option that's so far away samantha and i will hate each other by then we'll have like had like a full-on brawl where we've been giving <laughs> each other black eyes and but theoretically if we reach the end and we need to do something else that could be an option because i'm not sure that that exists i was on facebook the other day asking if there was a boy meets world rewatch podcast and turns out there's like a bunch of them. Sure. So we can't do that. Uh, I, I never really watched Boy Meets World. Oh, it was my jam. Yeah. It was my jam. And I believe it's, I believe you can stream it on Amazon Prime. It came I back think to my, I've, I've, I think I might have aged out of that one. It was back on my radar because everyone was subscribing to Disney Plus this week. Sure. And some people were Insta- Insta-storying about watching Boy Meets World. And I was like, damn, I missed that show. That was my jam. Yeah, I I feel like I'm not... I mean, I haven't signed up for Disney+. Plus. I don't... I don't think I'm going to. I don't really think I'm going to. I didn't have cable growing up because my parents are bad people and I know they're listening. So, we didn't... I I didn't watch any of that Disney Channel stuff. So, you don't have fond memories of those weird Disney Channel originals? I know people are, like, really psyched to find things they haven't been able to watch in, like, so long that have these childhood memories. And I totally get that, but I just, like... Don't have the same ones. I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, I finally get to watch that Disney Channel movie where they all go to that town run by dogs or whatever. Right, right. I don't, yeah. Well, basically, because my parents were bad at being parents. And <laughs> you didn't have the Disney Channel. We didn't ha- really, what killed me at the time was that we didn't have MTV. Oh, my God. Okay, sure, sure. Because all I wanted to do was sit around and watch music videos. And so that's just what I do now as an adult with YouTube. No, there you go. See, being an adult is an opportunity to do all those things you wanted to do as a child, and your horrible, terrible parents that are listening and supporting your podcast. Uh, That's a really good life philosophy. Yeah, to do everything you c- couldn't do as a child. Yeah, so you know, now you can have ice cream for breakfast and just watch music videos all day. Lovely. Okay, I guess we'll talk about unsolved mysteries. Right, Something fine. I did watch as a child because this was on broadcast television, and since there was only like four channels you watched it as a whole family despite the fact that people were going to be brutally murdered but this is not a news broadcast oh yeah don't be so, confused and think it's a news yeah. broadcast just want to make sure i clarify that uh what episode was this again this is season four episode 19 19 i was gonna say 20 i'm, I'm getting not, ahead of we're us we're not quite there nope all right so my first note is stack seems happy stack is really happy and also what the fuck is he wearing that tie looks like a, a bacteria under a microscope. 
<laughs> I didn't even notice because I was so whole, like a whole new outfit on stack. Um, did he have a threesome right before going to the set? Like, why is he in such a jolly Maybe. mood? Did Maybe. he just get another gold-plated yacht? Like, what's happening? Probably all of the above. Probably that's just like one day for him. It's just like any given Tuesday. <laughs> See, yeah, this is why rich people are so miserable. I mean, they're making us all miserable by ruining everything. But also, like, how do you have a good day when that's your standard? Like, it's so hard to one up the Robert Stack lifestyle <laughs> that we've made up because we know very little about the actual man. And this I, is straight out of Robert Stack's biography. I he had a threesome, he got another gold-plated yacht, and then he showed up on the set of Ensemble and he was in an a, ugly tie. And he was in a slightly better mood than usual. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm just going to take you for your, your word for it. It's the worst tie I've ever. Someone found it at the Salvation Army and pranked him. I think he might be in a good mood because he gets to use all kinds of old-timey uh, robbery-related language, like hold-up and heist. He didn't seem to be especially enjo- enjoying this robbery. Yes. Maybe he thought he, like, personally would get to catch the robber. Which I think this is the first time that the segment is called robbery instead of wanted. So I'm not sure Oh yeah, exactly. It's a, technically a wanted. They're looking for these people, but... They call it a robbery. Uh, this is the Valley Bank robbery. And Robert Stack, puzzlingly, at the beginning of the segment, <laughs> says that on any given day, 40 oh, yeah. banks are robbed in the U.S.? 40! Every single day! 40? I wrote that down, too. That's so many bank Actually, robberies. I, rewind, I, w- I wrote that down, and I went, that absolutely is not fucking true. <laughs> that cannot be right. And so I rewound it and made sure that I heard him correctly and he didn't 40 did he didn't say four or every nine years (laughs) because that's so many so many i mean i can't say it's not right but it doesn't seem right anyway so this is like i said a bank robbery on november 13th 1991 two armed bank robbers <laughs> sorry i told i totally forgot my own notes which is in all caps i just have written bank mullet oh, my second note is bank mullet <laughs> my, my second note is bank manager with the mullet has no time for this shit oh yeah it was he the manager so irritated that this man is disrupting his busy morning Look, he's clearly i mean to manage a bank i feel you gotta be pretty type a Right? Like, that's a precise thing to do. That's true. So he's like, I get here at, you know, 726. Not a moment sooner, not a moment later. Whatever. Right? He's like, down to the clockwork. And the fact that these... He's not worried he's, like, gonna die. He's like, they are throwing off my whole schedule. (laughs) No, your your whole day is off to the the wrong foot already. Uh, I just... I don't know. This this actor that plays this bank manager could have looked a little scared or okay, so all startled. <laughs> no. Instead he's he just, just like, looks really pissed. irritated. He's like, oh my god. It's like, you know, certain white people, if they're like, coffee isn't made fast enough, and <laughs> Samantha used to be a barista, she knows. Oh, yes. That they're just like, it's like everything has been ruined. Yes. <laughs> That's how he is about this bank being robbed. And because these people were wanted and the people at the bank were worried about retailing it, retaliation all the people in this segment are reenactors so probably this bank manager didn't have such a sweet mullet but let's hope he did we can only imagine i mean why'd they cast him if not for that sweet mullet yeah exactly 
All right, so it's November 13th, 1991, and two armed bank robbers enter a bank in Henderson, Nevada, an hour before opening. The bank manager felt that the robbers were experienced and knew about bank procedures because they knew that the manager would only have half of the vault combination and that they needed to wait until the vault teller arrived because she would have the second half of the combination. Uh, the first thing we need to talk about is this mask <laughs> that these guys are wearing. Yeah, it's cre- it's, it's kind of cre- the creepiest thing I think I've ever seen. And I'm looking I'm, I'm looking at the Unsolved Mysteries wiki and there's a blurry like security camera photo that's like out of someone's nightmares. <laughs> it's really terrifying. It's so scary. It's those type of cheap party masks that's clear but then has a couple sections that are kind of painted in. And I feel like the movie The Purge has been such a like gift to the cheap mask industry. <laughs> because now at the Halloween store they stock tons of just like shitty cheapo masks mm. like this because i think people wear them in the purge so that's kind of the vibe he's going on he also had like a wig i think and then a the hat worst wig yeah like the shittiest curly it's terrible yeah it's i mean what does he care i suppose and i swear they never once mentioned these masks like they they don't speak of them but no. in the reenactment they're wearing them and so you're watching it and it's you don't get a close-up right away so it's like what is on that guy's face tape like oh no it's like the weird clear mask gets a closer up shot and you're like oh no it's just a terrifying clear (laughs) mask almost clownish but not mask yeah it's extremely creepy i'm not wondering if anyone has robbed a bank in full drag that would be amazing but it would like be such a they're like okay now i gotta sit here for two hours and do all my makeup (laughs) but no one will recognize me once i take it off that's brilliant actually yeah that's what people listening to this podcast when i start robbing banks as a drag king don't turn me in look there's 40 a day there's probably one that's happened well when i was living in las cruces there was this bank right by my work that i think in three years did get robbed three times <laughs> and the the i assume it's the same person because they weren't getting caught but i don't know they were leaving on they foot just kept coming back. they were leaving on foot <laughs> And they yeah. might have just been like, oh, it's been a year. I spent all that money. Time okay, to go back to that to bank and rob it. Get some more. Uh, well, you know, 40 a day. It's very there's possible. no way that is true. <laughs> I didn't look it up, but it's, no. Seems very no. unlikely. So Robert Stack, take, come out of the grave and take it back. <laughs> we need a fact check. Robert Stack, get back here. All right. When the vault teller arrived at 8 a.m., the first robber forced her to help open the vault. As the first robber s- stole the money, the second held the vault teller and two other tellers hostage. At some point, a silent alarm was activated and the police arrived within minutes, but they sort of just like moseyed on up. They were like, oh, they had to assess the situation. And I was like, that's what happens when a silent alarm is hit during a back a bank robbery they just like sit around in their cars apparently what else happens is the police dispatcher calls the bank to be like are you being robbed and the bank manager was like well i didn't really want to say yes he's being robbed a guy guy with a gun is standing right next to him holding the gun at him so he was like (laughs) um he said that he used like a ruder tone so they would know not everything was okay or something i'm not exactly sure how he conveyed it but 
the bank robber had threatened him so that he would kill him if he tripped the silent alarm. So he didn't want to be like, oh yeah, we definitely tripped the silent alarm. There's a robbery happening here. I don't really understand. This police department seems especially bad at their job. The police are right outside. Maybe they couldn't see in. I don't know why the dispatcher had to call. So go in bank. and see if it's being robbed or not. <laughs> Look, I don't they know. just sit in their cars calling and hey uh could you solve this crime for me <laughs> could you let us know if there's a crime happening to you right now i'm kind of busy <clears throat> i didn't have breakfast so i'm just like kind of dragging you know yeah. i'm not like fully awake it's so early do you have to be robbed so early <laughs> i don't really understand this process but anyway when the dispatcher asked if everything was all right he said quote i suppose which meant to the dispatcher somehow that something was wrong uh, the manager then lied to the robbers, claiming that the store across the street had called them, asking what was going on, and that he needed to go out there before they themselves called the police, which is a clever ruse. Oh, thanks, Curtis. Curtis thinks so, too. I think he should have given one of those very Midwestern answers, which is something I do, where you're like, yeah, no. <laughs> or, no, yeah. <laughs> and then, assuming the robber is from somewhere else, they'd be like, wait, did they just say yes or no? That's true. That's true. You'll they'll never be able to figure they'll it out. They'll never be able to figure they'll it out. That's my suggestion. Out. That if you're like, yeah, no, we're not okay. Just be like, oh, gotta sneak past you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what the robber said on his way out. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so sorry for the inconvenience, but if I could just, oh. oh, you're fine. Oh no, it's okay. Don't worry, you're fine. So he left the building and went to the officers outside to let them know that yeah, they were getting robbed. Uh, hello. Yeah, he had to literally leave the bank while it's being robbed. Ra- walk past the other people being held hostage, knowing that he could not come back in to help them, and just go outside and be like, uh, yeah, so we're being robbed. That's why we hit the alarm. <laughs> Did they hit this alarm, like, every day? So the police no were just like, no clue. Again? <laughs> no idea. Oh, hi, Curtis. So the tellers noticed that the second robber was agitated and worried that the robbery was taking too much time. The first robber then decided to take the vault teller hostage. For an unknown reason, the second robber took off his mask prior to leaving the bank. After driving for several minutes with the hostage in the car, the robbers drove through a large and confusing apartment complex, which had only three entry and exit points. Despite having officers at each of these entry slash exit points, the robbers were able to escape. Uh, in the reenactment, they, like, <laughs> drove through some garbage cans. Didn't seem very difficult to elude these police officers, but... No. I just would have been like, oh, this isn't a robbery. <laughs> As I was, like, holding a gun and wearing a mask, and the police officers would have been like, oh, okay. All right. I'm on my way to a costume party. This isn't a robbery. Yeah, no. No, I didn't just rob a bank. And they'd be like, oh, carry on. Minutes later, the robbers switched getaway cars and released their hostage unharmed. Well, that's good. Um, Authorities believe that the two men that held up the Henderson Bank are responsible for at least 10 other holdups from 1986 to 1991. No, here's the twist. They're responsible for 40 a day. (laughs) (laughs) They're really busy. It's all them. In every case, their disguises had successfully concealed their identity. However, this would change in the Henderson case. Not really. Because that morning, reporter Catherine Scott had learned of the robbery through the police radio. Because she slept with the police or by her bed, something I specifically have told you not to do. Uh, she is out there wanting to capture crimes because she is ready. She might be Batman, I'm not sure. That moment when something's going on in town and she hears this chatter on the radio and she gets in her car and she grabs her little tiny camera and she's driving around and she sees the police chase coming towards her 
And she extremely nonchalantly just like holds the camera up as they're driving by and clicks a picture. The reenactment is hilarious. They it's slow it down. slow motion of these two cars passing. And she was like, I'm so scared that they were going to shoot me, but I need to take the picture. But I need to take the picture, but they might shoot me. And she takes like one picture with a shitty plastic camera <laughs> that you like wind yourself, if you know what I'm talking about. She just is holding it up to the window while driving like, oh. <laughs> she's so nonchalant about it which is hilarious given how dramatic they make the reenactment uh, it's it's completely ridiculous it seems like a parody of unsolved mysteries except that it's not this whole reenactment car chase is really really funny and my husband who's a mechanic's note on this was that quote i've driven a chrysler lebaron and can <laughs> confirm that they do not make those noises <laughs> It was like race car sounds, pretty much, and like tire squealing. <laughs> you know, from your Chrysler LeBaron. I think I've driven a LeBaron as well. Yeah, they don't sound like race cars. Boom! <laughs> so, yeah, this reenactment, pretty hilarious. Yeah, I highly recommend. So, with the help of this photograph and eyewitness accounts, the police uh, created a sketch. However, the robbers remain un- unidentified at the time of the broadcast. So, Who goes in her photo? He's Isn't he still wearing a mask? Or it's super blurry anyway. It's yeah, not super helpful. They end up catching one of the guys, which we're going to talk about in a second. And I don't know that it really looked like him. But anyway, the result is that uh, they were captured. On November 11th, 1997, Nebraska State Police stopped a car for speeding. The driver appeared extremely nervous and handed police a fake driver's license. Then their police dog began barking wildly at a suitcase in the back seat. The officers opened the bag and found $1.8 million inside. I often drive around with $1.8 million (laughs) in a suitcase. Just having a suitcase. I mean, it's so much money. I I guess you can train dogs to smell money, but that's fascinating. That is pretty fascinating. So much money, you could smell it. The driver turned out to be William Arthur Kirkpatrick, one of the two men name. the FBI had dubbed, quote, the trench coat robbers. We didn't even mention that they're wearing Robert Stack style trench coats. Oh, yeah, they are. So We're so distracted by the terrifying masks that it hardly really registered. So with the help of Kirkpatrick's girlfriend, the FBI was able to identify the second robber, who was Raymond Lewis Bowman. Bowman is currently serving t- 24-year prison sentence, uh, and Kirkpatrick... Uh, my notes cut off, so I have no idea. Okay. But he went to prison as well. <laughs> we This country has seen a notable decrease in bank robberies since the people that went were... Went down to zero. Strange. It's strange. It went from 40 bank robberies a day to zero with the capture of these two men. How could... Yeah, there's no way that's true. That seems pretty unlikely. Robert Stack, why lie to us like that? Yeah. Why? We need answers. Why? Okay, let's move on. We oh, got a... We got a... A lost love. This last love is weird. Yes. Yes, okay. it is. So, Robert Stack tells us that, quote, 50 years ago was the Great Depression. That is no longer true. <laughs> it just makes you go, all right, time marches on. Uh, we're talking about a story from Haskell, Texas, that dates back to 1941. It is the story of Barney Dewey, 
who was just 12 years old at the time, and he is currently looking for his sister. So it was during the De- Great Depression. His family was, like, just scraping by. So even though he was 12, he worked part-time at a gas station and also had to take care of his little sister, Angeline, because their stepfather was hospitalized and their mother was working long hours as a garment worker, which is the only job that was in the area. Um, and he describes it as a bleak existence. So one day he's working at the gas station and with, and he is also watching his sister and an old man pulls up in a fancy car who refers to himself as Reverend Nicholas. And he came to tell him that he was a good friend of their mother's and that they needed to go with him. And he already like knew their names. Yeah. This is the sort of thing that inspired like all the stranger danger you heard as a child, but nobody would have been talking about in the forties. So he comes up and he's like, oh, you must be Dewey and Angeline. I'm a great friend of your mother's, even though you've never met me or seen me, and uh, you need to come with me. And so he gave them candy and got them to go in the car. I mean, honestly, these kids were probably so hungry that they didn't really care what the explanation was. Oh, definitely. They were just like, what? We're getting candy? Great. Also, present day Barney says that this guy knew exactly what to tell them at any point if they had doubts he would be like oh well your mother said this he was under the barney was under the impression that his mother was sick and that reverend nicholas was taking them to his mother yes he thought maybe something had happened at her job obviously their dad couldn't come get him because he was in the hospital so they this guy is wearing like a reverend's cloak or whatever you call it yeah and he's an adult and you're supposed to listen to it he's like a friendly old man who's giving you candy while you're super hungry and I don't, he like, I don't, you just trust religious people, right? Yeah, he has authority and you're a kid. Yeah, and you're a little kid that is tasked to take care of your sister and work at a gas station yes. at the same time. So um, he actually took them to a hotel where he bought them new outfits and fed them what Robert Jack called a scrumptious dinner. <laughs> but I'm sure like anything at the time was like, this is a fucking feast. This is awesome. So the next day they were professionally photographed in their new clothes, which I'm not sure they had ever been photographed before. It was clearly a big deal. So they were told that their mother wasn't well and that they were going to get on a bus and go meet her. And Barney didn't really understand what was going on. And But yeah, again, like anytime they had a question, the reverend, the the so-called reverend was like so smooth that he like quelled over their fears and when they were getting yeah. on the bus angeline like freaks out and she was like i don't want to be on this bus i want my mom blah, blah, blah. and they're like yeah but you're going to your mom like that's how you're gonna get to your mom as you go on this bus right and what is this little kid gonna do just be like <laughs> fuck you and leave yeah exactly so they were being taken so yeah so they're put on the bus the bus is actually going to a foster home so after a couple days at the foster home barney knows what's up sort of but he also like doesn't know what to do about it and also this is just my impression based on the way this story goes. I'm not sure Barney was 100% confident that his parents hadn't given him up. And That's I'm not, a very good point. I'm not sure he's even resentful about that. I think he is old enough to realize, like, times are tough and that we're having trouble feeding our family. Yeah. Maybe these children would be better off with someone else, right? Right. So I'm not sure that... I think Barney might have protested more or tried to done, do more if he was positive that his parents hadn't given him up. And he, I don't think he was. That's a good point because he was a pretty capable kid despite his age. And 
Yeah, I think if he had been more positive that they had been taken against their mother's wishes, he may have taken his sister and leave. Yeah, he didn't get to talk to his mother before this happened. Right. And I think that, like, at first he did think he was going to his mother, but then after a while, I think he kind of thought, well, maybe this is what they had to do. Right. So, after a couple days at the foster home, Reverend Nicholas shows up with his son but is to pick up Barney, but not Angeline. And so we got this very tearful reenactment yeah. of, of our Angeline like clinging to his arm as he's like taken away and put in the car because it turns out the reason that they were professionally photographed was that these were advertisements to prospective parents. Parents being used quote, a bit loosely they basically in this were being sold. Yes. So someone had seen a picture of Barney and I forget how, but they were somehow connected to the Reverend quote unquote Reverend Nicholas. Well, I forget how to. The person that works for him's sister or yeah, something like that. Yeah, his secretary or something? Yeah. Well, they needed a ranch hand. So. Oh, convenient. They, I think Robert Stack even put it that way. He was like, conveniently, conveniently, they needed a ranch hand. So then Barney is sent to live on a ranch outside of uh, Abilene, Texas. I might have written that down wrong. And he's basically in charge of this entire ranch. In the reenactment, it's, there's this tiny kid in a herd full of giant hungry cows. Okay, he lived eight miles from the main house and rarely saw sex quote because he says, Barney remembers his foster parents fondly, even though he lived a solitary existence yes. eight miles from the main ranch house and saw them rarely. Even when you see him as an adult, he's like not mad at these people for basically keeping him as a slave. Yeah. Uh, I would be a little more pissed, but Barney was like, no, I had a ranch, I, uh, could do whatever I wanted, and no one bought me. He liked the freedom, but... Yeah, and he liked the animals and whatever. It's like, he had his dude. own horse, but, I mean, he's, like, not... Yeah, he was, like, I mean, really happy that he had his own horse. I mean, yeah. It's probably cool for a little kid, but... I guess he wasn't starving, and maybe it was an improvement from working at the gas station, but... Whew, that's... He Just, lived alone eight miles from the main He's a 12-year-old living alone in charge of an entire ranch. Yeah. So after a while, he gets lonely. Surprise. Surprise, surprise, if you just stick a kid in the middle of nowhere with some cows. <laughs> he got he got bored after a while and decided to go look for his mom and sister. He had like 37 cents that he we were shown him getting as a tip at the gas station. But because he wasn't mad at these horrible ranch people, he like leaves the nice clothes. He like leaves everything they had provided for him, which was barely anything anyway. And he puts on his old shabby clothes and takes this 37 cents and hits the road i would have burned that place down i know (laughs) took my horse yeah yeah really they gave you a horse but no he leaves all that because he didn't he wasn't mad at them he was just like mad at i don't know he just wanted his sister i don't think he was mad at anyone to go find his mom again i would be mad i'm like projecting that on him So, okay. So, he gets back to his hometown, and unfortunately, his mother and stepfather have moved away, I assume, because she needed to find work somewhere else, but they don't actually say. So, he go- they show this, like, map of Texas, this part, and he has to, like, go all over Texas to be reunited with his family. He finds his biological father. So, that's in Who very nicely Texas. took him around to try and find his mom, eventually putting him on, a, like, a bus to the yes. other side of Texas where he was reunited with them. Yes. So, he finds his birth father and Claiborne 
Aragorn Texas, they go to Kilgore and then Humble, and then he's put on a bus to Odessa, which is like the other side of Texas. And by that point, his biological dad has been able to get in touch with his mother and stepfather, and they're expecting him, and they're like waiting for him at the bus. Now, the reason that I said that I thought you know, maybe he wasn't 100% sure that's not what his parents wanted, is that when he gets off the bus and sees his mom, his mom, who at first doesn't even recognize him because he's grown so much in the time he's been gone, but she's like, he asks her, did you know Reverend Nicholas? Like, did you arrange for us to be put up for adoption? She was like, no, I would never do that. But I think part of him was worried that that they had been given up and that that was what was supposed to happen. Um, but no, this guy was just a fucking evil kidnapper. Yes. So he's reunited with his mother and and stepfather, but unfortunately they can't find his sister, Angeline. So the flash forward a little bit um, that Barney eventually gets married and, you know, he grows up, he gets married, and then he, like, seriously begins to search for his sister. And searching for Reverend Nicholas, he goes back to that town where the foster home was, and he's able to find his son, Nick Kane, who owns, or Nick Crane, and he owns, um, the pharmacy. a pharmacy. Yeah. yeah. So he finds out that Reverend Nicholas died two years earlier, and surprise, surprise, the orphanage had been shut down by the state. Oh, okay. Shocking. And the son had some of the records, like, in the back of the pharmacy, but they were incomplete and in the reenactment are just in, like, dusty old boxes and just, like, randomly scattered around. Yeah. I'm sure other people had come by that were like, what the hell did your dad do to so-and-so? And he's like, uh, go look in the back. Pretty much. So, okay. So he hadn't been able to find his sister. Also, can through- we talk about how this pharmacy was, like, a bar? Well, you, like, it had, like, a, it had a phosphate counter. So, okay, I know a little bit about this. Which I don't is know the, anything about this. Back in the day, the reason pharmacies were also soda fountains is because predating your, like, 50s, 40s sock hop type of thing, uh, soda was, like, supposed to be a remedy. Mm, yes, I did know that. Like, Coca-Cola had cocaine yeah. in it. <laughs> yes. Right? Like, that's supposed to be a remedy for your health, so you would get it at the pharmacy. And as times kind of moved on, they just, like had, like, shakes and malts and whatever. Okay. So you would have the little counter with the chrome and the stools, and you could sit there drinking your cherry phosphate, which I don't. I think they were no longer pretending was health-related, but they just still had them. I kind of wish that was like that. I I would love going to the pharmacy if I could sit at a little retro... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you could just buy, like, other random things because towns didn't have that many stores, too. Which, I guess, Walgreens continues that tradition today. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You can just buy random crap. Okay. Um, So, update. There's a reunion. Someone watching the broadcast realizes that the Angeline they're talking about is actually their adoptive sister. So, they call in. They say so that Barney could get in touch with her sister. Um, she had some mental disabilities, so she was living in a group home in Arizona. Um, and I think they, f- and Unsolved Mysteries, flew her out to Barney's house. Something like that. And so then you're able to see the reunion. And Barney is, like, so happy. because oh, he was so happy. It's been 50 years since they saw each other. And he says, I've been looking for my sister for 50 years. I've never yes. given up hope. And he finally, his dream came true and they were reunited. And he's really relieved to find out that Angeline was adopted by a loving family and she had been well cared for. And even though it's awful that, you know, this horrible man, which I wish we got to know a little bit more about him and his 
shady background and what What the fuck's wrong with him. him. But despite being ripped out from that family, she did have love and support in her new life and she had lived a good life. So you get to see him like showing her photographs of their mom who had passed away and just sort of reconnecting and they're just clearly like so happy to be together. It's really sweet. It's a delight. So I learned from Unsolved mysteries wiki that barney has passed away but he passed away at the age of 90 so hopefully they had some time together and it is a sweet reunion and yeah unsolved mysteries did another good deed i love a lost love i really wish that the reverend nichols whatever the hell his real name was i wish he had died a horrible horrible death yeah a deadly hangnail or something i wish his eyes had crusted over with boils and a goat ate his entrails, and I don't. I hate him so much. The idea that you just show up to children and manipulate them like that and steal them away. So you could sell them to ranches? Ugh. How do you sleep with yourself at night? Oh my god, I know. Chris, how? So we have one more. There's a stupid update in here, but we don't even... Yeah. There's there's like a thing of a case we've already talked about to death, and so just ignore that, and we'll yeah. go on to the last one. Okay, so I, is this a wanted or an unexplained death? I have it written down as unexplained death. Okay, this is an unexplained death, but it's also kind of a wanted. It's also kind of a parade of mustaches. Yes. Yes, definitely. So 57-year-old Joe Harvey and his 54-year-old wife Maddie were a couple who lived in the small town of Lewis Chapel Mountain, Tennessee, which was north of Chattanooga. For years, they ran a combination gas station and convenience store. It was the only place to buy gas and groceries for miles around. According to Joe's brother, Ed, who is our first mustache in this parade of mustaches. Uh, so I've, I think he's my MVM. I've drawn, drawn I thought it here. he would be mine, too. It's a very trucker mustache. I called it the model train enthusiast. <laughs> Which I don't actually know that this guy was a model train enthusiast, but that is the mustache of a model train enthusiast. Yeah, and I think just because he's wearing a trucker hat is why I made that connection. I don't know that truckers are like required to have this mustache, but... It's, uh, it's, it's a very purposeful mustache. Definitely. Also, he definitely was like advertising like a local store and the on like his hat. not pulled down all the way. It's very strange. He also talks like Boomhauer from King of the Hill. <laughs> yes, and kind of looks... Yes, he looks the part as well. So it was common knowledge that they kept cash receipts in the store, according to Ed. He suggested that they keep the money elsewhere, perhaps in a bank account. So they like literally didn't have a bank. They're making the money at the store and then just like bring the money home. I think they're probably keeping it in a tin can. I don't even yeah. understand. Uh, he was hoping to... He's pr- like, look, 40 banks got robbed a day. We can't trust our money there. Let's just keep it under the mattress. You know what? They have a good point. To prevent robberies, he suggested that they put it in a bank or that maybe they get a gun, but they didn't like either one of those suggestions. (laughs) I feel like I'm usually not going to advocate getting a gun, but I feel like if you're keeping all literally all the money you have in a tin can in your house. (laughs) You need some sort of security system, whether it's a lock or- A mean dog. Yeah. Or mean cat even. Not letting people know that you keep all your money in a tin can. Right. The whole town knows. Lying might be a good security system. Oh yeah, it's in a bank. Yeah, just say it's in a bank and then get some bear traps. (laughs) Done. However, they trusted the community and did not feel that they needed to protect their money. Tisk, tisk. Famous last words. On March 4th, 1991, a local sheriff was called to Joe and Maddie's house because their store was not opened as scheduled, which very suspicious. Uh, someone has to go check it out. Someone was like, I need Pepsi AC and I need it now. 
The sh- uh, the sheriff found that the entire house had been damaged by fire from the inside. It looked really creepy, actually, from those photos. Oh, yeah. And there's also, like, police video footage. Yes. All the wood is, like, all bubbly from the heat, and everything's all dark and, like, yeah. dripping. And- so inside there was no Ugh. trace of the couple, but there were blood splatters. So it was apparent that the fire had been set by an arsonist to cover up possibly their murder. I've learned that forensic file from forensic files, this never works. You kill someone, as I know you're going to do, Samantha, and then you're like, oh no, look at all this blood. I want to clean that up. I'm just going to burn this place down. Well, it doesn't work. Then it makes people more suspicious. It of makes you. people more suspicious. But then, you actually, then you're just leaving evidence of the arson. You think you're covering yeah. up the evidence of the murder, but then they just look at the evidence of the arson and they find you. So there's no, don't no. think you're getting away with murder, everyone, anyone, you're not. Yeah. So agents from the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation were brought in to investigate the case. A two-gallon gasoline can was found on the kitchen counter. And <laughs> Literally more blood a bloody fingerprint on the bottom. <laughs> yes. Where they're like, oh, look, at you don't see that every day. <laughs> That's evidence. There were also more uh, blood spots found throughout the house. Investigators believed that Joe and Maddie had been attacked and kidnapped from their house, with robbery being the motive. They believed the fire was deliberately set to cover up the crime. Their 27-year-old niece, Sherry Holland, vanished just a few days later, which the investigators found suspicious. Oh, yeah, that is suspicious. So, uh, they did not have children of their own, but they were close to their extended family. They were especially close to Cheryl and her five-year-old daughter. One week after Joe and Maddie... They loved her like a daughter. I know. It was, the reenactment was really sweet. One week after Joe and Maddie vanished, Cheryl's pickup truck was found abandoned at a truck stop two hours from home. Investigators found that the keys were still inside. Next to it, they found a necklace that belonged to her. Her pocketbook was found as well. This led investigators to believe that she may have also been abducted. Hmm. However, investigators next questions Cheryl's 30-year-old common-law husband, Edward Allen also the owner of a mustache. He was known as Eddie. He said that before she vanished, she took him to Newport uh, News, Virginia. He claimed that they stopped somewhere along the way to sleep, but he could not remember where. Other inconsistencies in his story made investigators suspicious. He's just bad at lying. Yeah. If the reenactment is any indication, he's like extremely bad at lying. (laughs) Which doesn't make you really cut out for a life of crime. Not exactly, Eddie. So they suspected that he and Cheryl may have been involved in in Joe and Maddie's disappearance. However, her family could not believe this. Which you no. don't really want to believe that. Because she was a good Christian girl living a Christian life. Yes. That's what I wrote down. Because I know no one will ever say that about me if I'm <laughs> suspected of a crime. Well, you know, this was a good Christian girl living a Christian no, life. No, no one will say that about me. So I've, I'm just going to be a suspect. Great. Well, damn. So I, I got to <laughs> cut back on the crimes I commit. <laughs> On March 10th, Eddie was questioned again. He claimed that in late February, he had taken Cheryl to a hospital in Knoxville for a week-long treatment for stomach cancer. I think she did not have. He claimed that he could not remember the hospital's name. <laughs> so. <laughs> you might want to work on that that fake alibi, just like a little. Just a little bit. That you can't just say, oh, we were out of town, and the cops go, hmm, good enough. Oh, yeah, she has really bad stomach cancer and needed some really specialized treatment we at were this at hospital the in stomach Knoxville. Ho- we were at the Knoxville Stomach Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> that's very well known. It's prestigious. Yeah, that's where you go when you have the Knoxville Stomach, stomach Hospital. <laughs> that's where you go when you have stomach cancer. 
<laughs> oh, really? How bad's the cancer? Bad, 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 bad. Stage bad. She has yeah nine month weeks to live. <laughs> What's the name of the doctor? Oh, Doctor Stomach. <laughs> No. We're you know, we're now Dr. Stomachs. <laughs> He's an expert on these things. He's an expert on stomachs. It's weird that his That's name worked out that way. No, he changed his name so everyone would know. That's why I'm going to be Dr. Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> not that, an, I'm not an expert on that. If we get so. that Netflix deal, you have to change your name to Dr. <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries. It's just your first name is Doctor and your last name is Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, Dr. Dre is not really a doctor, so it's fine. <laughs> So it works. Yeah. There's a precedent. <laughs> I just want you to explain that to everyone. It was like, is this your name? They're looking at your, they're just squinting at your driver's license and you're, you're just going, Dr. Gray's not a real doctor. <laughs> I don't see why I can't change my first name to doctor. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Who knew lying about stomach cancer could be so funny? So relatives had told investigators that Cheryl had borrowed money from them to use for, quote, cancer treatments. <laughs> but investigators determined that she had used it for other things. So She needs it for her stomach for cancer. Her stomach. Look, the Knoxville Stomach Hospital is very expensive. And they only take cold, hard cash, preferably from a tin can. <laughs> Look, the U.S. medical system is really messed up. <laughs> Their billing department is just, like, taking your tin can from you. Yeah, and just dumping it in a box. <laughs> that looks good. Yeah, so it turns out the investigators were able to prove that they were not the in Knox- Knoxville <laughs> at the stomach hospital because it didn't exist. And also, they were in a different town entirely. Uh, so his his alibi fell apart pretty quickly. Uh, so we called the Knoxville Stomach Hospital, and they said, we, hello, we do not exist. <laughs> hello? No, we do not take only tin can money. Because we aren't real. <laughs> we are real. Thanks for calling. So when confronted with his many inconsistencies, he decided to confess. In his confession... Which- Bad move. Really. Eddie stated that on March second, Cheryl came home from work, stating that she needed more money. They planned on going. <laughs> Which to- I say every day. Hey, I, I need, need more money. More money. My husband's just like, okay, yeah, <laughs> and and <laughs> same as yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> So they had planned on going to Cheryl's mother's house to pick up her paycheck. Along the way, they went to a gas station and purchased a gas can, which they filled with gas. After visiting her parents, Eddie and Cheryl went to Joe and Maddie's house to rob them. He claimed that when they were inside, they left their daughter and six-week-old son in the truck. That's ice cold. As they were about to go inside, she told them- How would you feel when you grew up and you found out, oh, when I was six, my parents left left me me in in a car while they committed cold-blooded murder and arson. Which I almost combined- I almost just combined that into one word. (laughs) Marson. Well, they committed (laughs) Marson. Sounds much less nefarious than it is. Yeah, no. Marson. <laughs> I, let's, I don't endorse that word. I don't want that to take that off. That sounds like a hipster baby name. <laughs> this is my son, Marson. Oh my god. Someone named their kid Marson. Marson Unsolved Mysteries. You get, if you, if you name your kid Marson, you get free Patreon top tier for if life. If you name your, your kid Marson, Dr. Unsolved Mysteries... <laughs> 
don't know what we're gonna give you we don't have yes. much but we'll give you something we'll give you definitely something. a shout out at least <laughs> <laughs> oh this is my son marson doctor unsolved mystery oh fair enough okay so as they were talking, this is my daughter dr stuffing We've reached the point in the show where we're just like slightly delirious. I've got like a whole other page of notes left because this mystery was long as fuck. This is also terrible. This is a terrible case of Mars. <laughs> Alright, so they were about to go inside and she dropped this bombshell on Eddie that she needed to murder them. And Eddie was like, why? <laughs> also, could you tell me stuff like this before we get to the people's house we're supposed to murder? <laughs> so, communication is key in a relationship. You can't just show up places and go, oh, by the way, we're committing murder. <laughs> you need to tell your partner ahead of time. Be like, I, no, I thought we were just here to commit arson. Yeah, like, I was- no, you must. I, I said Marson. <laughs> you didn't hear me because you're never fucking listening. It's Marson. I said, yeah. He's like, I was down for robbery and arson, but not Marson. Which, you know what? Fair. Like, I thought it was Marson we were here to do. <laughs> no, Marson, Eddie. Just fucking listen. <laughs> If it wasn't for the kids, I wouldn't put up with your shit anymore. (laughs) So they're on the doorstep arguing about whether or not they need to murder their family members. Who love them! Yes, and their children. Uh, But eventually, I guess Cheryl convinced him that they had no choice but to murder them. This story is all from him, and it's a little bit suspect that one day she was just like, I need more money. Let's go kill the people who love me. Take their money, murder them, and burn down their house. And he just was like, okay. Oh, I didn't see this coming, but I'm free. (laughs) So you're lucky I don't have other plans. After entering the house, she talked to Joe briefly and then went to get Maddie. A few moments after that, Eddie came in and, according to the reenactment, confusedly shot them. Yeah, because they're trying to make it seem like he was tricked somehow. He's unwilling. That, unwilling that if you tell someone this. to commit murder, that's a trick. Yeah. Hey, Samantha, go commit murder. As Maddie tried to escape, she was shot in the living room. Eddie and Cheryl then took Joe and Maddie's bodies and placed them in the trunk of their own car. He followed her as she drove uh, to Alabama over the Alabama state line and into and into the Tennessee River area near Bridgeport Ferry. Later, she returned to Joe and Maddie's house, stole $150,000 in cash, and set the house on fire. Investigators found a bloody fingerprint on the bottom of the gas can found in Joe and Maddie's house. It was matched to Cheryl's known thumbprint. Searchers began dragging the Tennessee River near Bridgeport Ferry. On April 17, 1991, Joe and Maddie's car was found in the river with their bodies in the trunk. Both had been shot in the head, just as Eddie described. It's really grim. And he was charged with the murders, and a warrant was issued for Cheryl's arrest. Investigators began tracking Cheryl's movements following the murders. They learned that she left their children with her mother. They also learned that an unidentified... They also learned that an unidentified man appeared to be following her. This part is very confusing, and I'm not sure if this was even ever true, but around 9.30pm on March 7th... Oh, the bearded man? Yeah, who was following her around... 
yeah. for reasons. Maybe he was blackmailing her or something. Maybe. So around 9.30 p.m. on March 7, five days after the murders, she allegedly arrived at a service station in Greenville. Just seconds before entering, she told the clerk that she had to leave. As she went back to her truck, a bearded man wearing a leather jacket tried to talk to her, but she left. Um, and he, who was driving a red truck, followed after her. About an hour later, Cheryl was spotted using a payphone at a truck stop 12 miles from the previous station. She told uh, her family that she was two hours from home. Later, a witness spotted two people talking in her truck. The unidentified man was apparently seen at her workplace on the day before the murders. Uh, She was seen writing him a check. Investigators are uncertain how this man is connected to the case. She was last seen at the truck stop around 11.30 p.m. on the night of March 7th. Her family believes that the unidentified man was responsible for her disappearance. However, investigators are pretty certain that she is alive and still on the run. So, the result is Update. that she was captured thanks to a viewer's tip just 45 minutes after the broadcast. <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries viewers are, you know, they're really, really on, on their, top of it. They're on their game. They're, well, this is why they're tuning in, because they want to be the one to call in that tip and exactly. solve Exactly. I would have been so excited. So Cheryl was arrested in Rollingwood, Texas, at a convenience store where she had worked for six months. She was living under the assumed name of Amy Elizabeth Forster. Her colleagues were shocked about her double life. Four days later, Cheryl was returned to Tennessee to face murder charges. She pleaded guilty and was spared the death sentence. She and Eddie are now serving life sentences for the murders, and she will not be eligible for parole until until November of 2021. (gasps) And he will not be eligible until April of 2020. Oh, my goodness. So, he could be out this year. Wow. It's a really grim case, despite how much we laughed. <laughs> it is really grim. These people were beloved by their community. They seemed super nice They kept $150,000 in a coffee can. They seemed to really care about her. and They did. I'm not, I don't really believe his thing of events, that he was, like... Tricked into doing this? Yeah, but it does seem like she was involved, so mm-hmm. it's very sad. Yeah, they definitely were. So they were such a happy couple, and they had this really thriving business and this community that they really cared for. And yeah, it's overall just very depressing. And they killed him for what? What did they even do with that money? She had to just like go on the lam and work at a convenience store. What was the point of any of that? I have no idea. Just, oh, I won't, I won't be with my children anymore. I'll just live under an assumed name and still go to work. And yeah, nothing, nothing was achieved by that. No. So people to really think your crimes through yeah before you do marson yeah exactly uh, make sure you want to do marson and also what are the consequences of that it's probably pretty severe so how about you don't do it okay less marson 2020 all right should we rate this episode yes i think we have no choice but to rate this episode mysteriousness hmm not very mysterious actually no, thumbs down most of these were wanted and then a lost love so thumbs down for mysteriousness Mm-mm. no i didn't even really have the element of spookiness or not really other than those masks but <laughs> yeah it did advertise terrifying masks but yeah. that's not really the same as mystery not exactly reenactments were excellent in my uh, opinion hilarious in the some cases car chase uh yeah i mean the lost love you get some old timey scenes yeah you got a little kid hitchhiking and jumping in the boot of a car. <laughs> you get to see some cows. You don't always see that on Unsolved Mysteries. Very true. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a thumbs up for real. Yeah, sure. Why not? I'll Fashion? be generous. Um, oh, I did write down for your last mystery, what a sweater to be arrested in. 
That's true. For the update, quite you, the you see her being arrested, and she's wearing a very 80s pastel, random shapes, yeah. random textures sweater. And it's like, oh, that's what you get arrested in? <laughs> that did Ooh. not age well. Ooh. But I don't know that it's a thumbs up for that. But oh, definitely not, no. No. Actually, I, I, it seems unspectacular. In unspectacular yeah 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 Under, no. underwhelming robert stack brought out a, you know a new tie this episode i did have a couple other uh mustaches oh, did you? before i forget from your last there was a guy that was just in the reenactment of the cops like looking at the burned house they find that fingerprint mm. there's just some looky-loos outside and one had a giant mustache that i called the caterpillar retreat <laughs> it's very bushy and full yeah and then um, when we hear from the shop manager after she's arrested, the person she was working for that couldn't believe, not our Amy, she's so sweet, he had this type of mustache, and I called it combs for sale. Because <laughs> he works at a store, his mustache looks like a comb. He probably buy some of those combs. Yeah. Maybe he's not selling them because he's just pocketing them all <laughs> for his mustache. So, uh, despite that, I feel like it's unremarkable on fashions. Yeah. So, and then Robert Stack, what? I mean, he brought in a new tie, and he seemed a little bit happier than but he normally is. it's a bad is, so tie. It's a terrible tie, but it is new. Uh, so, sideways? Sideways for changing things up? Yeah, sure. Not really sure. There's you know, thumbs some- up, because I want to know why he was in such a good mood. <laughs> All right. Out of a possible five Robert Stacks. <sighs> I feel like this is a total three. This is a definite three. I, I, we don't need... Middle of the road uh, We have an unnecessary update that we did not need at all. We only have three mysteries. Two wanteds. What's a lost love? You know, I like a lost love, but two wanted. We could have used paranormal in here. Call it a robbery. Business mysteries. It's still a wanted. We could have used a paranormal. Yes. Like, give us a ghost dog. Yeah. (laughs) That would be a great mystery. Give us a barn haunted by chickens. I mean, something... Something. The the ghosts of the chickens that died in our last <laughs> Yeah. Where's the episode. the two chickens that the five chickens that got shot five with chickens two bullets. Shot with two bullets. Where are their ghosts and what are they up to? Hopefully they're haunting that sheriff. Uh yeah, I think it's a solid three. It's episode. it's kinda of forgettable. It's not bad. It's just you won't really remember it out of any other episode, I don't think. No, probably not. It's kind of anonymous. Yeah. Kind of faceless. Like it's wearing a creepy mask. Yeah. I think that wraps it up. Yeah, it does for sure. Are we sure. ready for some recommendations? Curtis, what do you want to recommend today? He wants to recommend eating the last Kit Kats. Oh, that's a terrible recommendation. I'm not going to let you recommend that. Okay, <laughs> my recommendation is super... I don't know. Whatever. My recommendation is water aerobics. Oh, okay. Which is something I've been doing lately, and it's really fun. Something my doctor doctor recommended... I'm often the youngest pre- person there by <laughs> decades, <lot. laughs> literal whole decades. It's me and a bunch of elderly women usually. But you know what? It's like really fun. It's nice to be in a pool and not swimming. And the pool is, at least in this case, it's heated. Ooh, that's even better. It's super shallow. So everybody can like stand and you're just like splashing around doing stuff. I think it is like still exercise, but unlike every other exercise that I hate, this is actually fun and enjoyable. And I don't know. Also, just like splashing around and seeing old people splashing around is hilarious because you get to a certain age, you just don't care about anything anymore. You become a child again in your carefree ways. That's pretty fun. And people like to stay after class and like hit a ball around and stuff. I don't know. It's just adorable. That is really adorable. 
How did you find a water aerobics class? Is this a community ad? So this is through community ad. It's in an elementary school pool. Which, why does an elementary school have a pool? I don't know. But I know, like, the Y, both MA and CA, I think, have them as well. And maybe you're... Sure, if you're a member of a gym, they might have it as well. Something to look into, even if you don't think you would like it. That's my recommendation. So it's more fun. At least these classes... I've been enjoying them a suspicious amount. A suspicious amount? Yeah. Did you not expect that you were going to no, enjoy them as much I didn't as you really, did? I didn't really. I mean, I'm a, a pig glass and gym class kind of kid. Oh, me too, for sure. And I associate most athletic things with anxiety and humiliation. Uh, but this is so low-key and just like, maybe because everybody there is ancient, and so they're just happy they can do anything. But <laughs> probably true. <laughs> sorry, everyone. In my class. But I'm sure they're listening. I'm sure. I'm sure they're huge you podcast should really, you should listeners. Really every, get them to every listen. one of them. Get a few uh, more downloads out of your water aerobics class. <laughs> like on the radio? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you if you're looking for something that's less a less competitive environment, I would definitely recommend it. Because I do have done yoga for years, but even depending on. The yoga class, it can be kind of competitive. Mm, okay. Which I know it's not supposed to be, but that's definitely out there where you end up pushing yourself too far or feeling bad. You can't do things. Yeah. Which is why exercising with old people is great. I feel like I had more to say about that, but I don't. That's my thing. Maybe give it a try. I like it. What's yours? So I'm recommending a magazine, actually. Inter- they still make those. They still make it. So this is a magazine that's actually won quite a few awards, so some of our listeners might be aware of it. It's called Uncanny Magazine. Okay. Um, and it is... Uh, it calls itself a magazine for of science fiction and fantasy. And you can read this magazine for free online. You can't read it, like... As each edition comes out, I think they they allow you to read like half oh, of sure. it, and then like the next month you get the other half. I've read it online, uh, off and on over the years, but then I recently decided to subscribe to it on my Kindle because you can do that through Amazon. Sure, which I didn't know. I just learned that. Um, but basically, it's a magazine that publishes authors of sh- like it's short fiction, poetry, sometimes it's nonfiction, um, and I like getting it, and you know, it's just a different reading experience. Um, I'm not always sure where to start when it comes to especially short fiction and poetry. So it's nice to just get this like curated um, list of specifically science fiction and fantasy. I prefer the science fiction um, writing typically, but it also has fantasy in it if that's what you're into. How many romantic gargoyle stories does it have? I've not come across one yet, but right, maybe mom, you can search you on be the interested. website. Um, Never mind, mom. So, uh, this is from their about page. Uncanny issues are published as ebooks um, bi monthly on the first Tuesday of each month uh, through all of the major online ebook stores. Every issue contains five to six new short stories, one reprinted story, four poems, four nonfiction essays, and two interviews at minimum. Ah, interesting. Um, subscribers and those purchasing single issues get each issue in its entirety up front, but then you can also read online for free. You'll be able to read the first half of the issue online when the ebook is released, but you will have to wait a month for the second half to appear on the first Tuesday of the next month. So I wanted to recommend it because I was sort of, I've been, you know, sometimes I don't read them and then they they pile up. Yeah, sure. So I was going through and I read a story that I really, really enjoyed. And I'm going to pull it up. It's called 
So if you want to know like where to start, if you just want to like look on their website and find some stories um, for free before you subscribe, um, I really recommend the short story. It's fiction called Nice Things by Ellen Clages. Hmm. Clages? I'm okay. not sure how you pronounce um, their last name. But it's a really good uh, sort of spooky story. Hmm. I'm not sure what month this one was from. It might have been from October. But it's just a short fiction piece. And the ending, I was literally like, what the fuck? It totally oh. caught me off guard. It, was, it did not go the direction I expected it oh. to go. It sort of felt like a ghost story, and then like the ending just completely caught me off guard. And I just thought it was extremely well done. I actually went back and reread the ending a couple times because it was that like much of a mind fuck. So, yeah, yeah. I really like that story in particular from a recent issue, but I don't know. It was just it's something that I enjoy, and it's a little bit different. Maybe you're working on some sort of Mothman romance, and you want to send them a chapter. There is a thing on their website about getting published. In them. So if you are an author of science fiction or fantasy, maybe look into that. I'm not sure exactly maybe, how that works, but... Maybe Samantha and I have inspired you to, to pen some sort of, oh, I don't know, Mothman-related... Uh, story short fiction piece? Or, yeah. Yeah, so maybe submit it to Uncanny Magazine. Yeah, some short recommendations. That sounds really good. Some, something new. Yeah, so you can have a, a <laughs> afternoon of doing water aerobics and reading short stories. That sounds nice, actually. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. kind of want to be doing that right now. Yeah, why are we making this stupid podcast? Let's go. No, no, let's wrap it up. All right, let's plug our shit. So you can find us on the social medias. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. At Perhaps It's You. Not Snapchat. Not, Not Snapchat. That one. But Instagram's kind of like the same thing now, isn't it? Yeah, it stole all of its ideas. So we're on there. Perhaps it's you. Yes. And if you have a few extra dollars and you want to send them to us, you'll get some bonus content, including our X-Files episode that's going to be out soon. Don't you want to hear Samantha's reaction to home? I know you do. People are pumped. And you only have to spend a dollar. It's, it's patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. Yes. Uh, our website is perhaps it's you.com. There is a thing to submit. We have a little submission form on there because we need paranormal tales. The end yes. of the season is wrapping up. Personal spooky stories. We want to hear them. We end each season with a listener stories episode, and we're going to be collecting those soon. We have not read them. If you send them in, we're going to be reading them and getting scared we right like along with you. being surprised. So send those along also to perhaps do podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what we should do for our 100th episode. Yeah. I'll have to, like I said, crunch the numbers, see when that's going to be. After this, like two away or something. Wow. Okay. We really need your ideas, people. Send them in. <laughs> okay. Uh, is that everything? Oh, write us. Five stars, Apple Podcasts. Oh, absolutely. We only accept five star reviews. We could use that's a few our policy more. and it's the law. Yes. Thank you. Uh I think that's it. Don't commit Marson. No, or Rarson. <laughs> Don't do that. It's Don't. so rude. It's really bad. Um Okay. We appreciate all the support and kind words and everything. Yeah. And you're the best. And take care of yourself and drink some water and stay warm. Bye. Enjoy naps. Yes. Solve mysteries. Bye. Bye.